Welcome, everyone, to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone. Appreciate you spending some time with us today because we're almost at that halfway point of the fantasy regular season. And believe me, I know it could be a bit of a grind at this point. You got that excitement from the draft and the start of the season. It's starting to fade a little bit, right? Fantasy playoffs are still like a couple months away. Last night, I was setting waivers and... I'll be honest, it felt like a job. I mean, I'm in a million leagues, so that's probably part of it. But still, we're in that like really tough stretch where it feels like you're fighting through bye weeks. We're trying to get past all these injuries. Sometimes it's not the most fun, but that's what we're here to help with today. We're going to get you ready for week seven. And my guest today is actually in one of those million leagues with me. She's actually the only undefeated team left in our International Dynasty Invitational that I started over the summer. We've talked about that one on the show a couple times, and we'll give an update on it in a bit here. But Victoria Geary's our guest. You can find her content over at Football Guys. She co-hosts their mailbag show. She wrote a, a really awesome piece highlighting Austin Eckler as a league winner before the season, and we'll see how she feels about him after six weeks. I'm guessing pretty good. I'm guessing she's pretty happy with that call so far. She's also on Twitter at FFB underscore Victoria, but let's get her in here. Victoria, welcome to the show. Super pumped to have you on finally. It's unfortunate that it had to come after such a crushing Bills loss. You and I are both huge Bills fans, but tough to stop King Henry, I guess. Either way, appreciate you carving out some time for us. How are you doing? How's the season been going so far for you? It's good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy we were able to set this up. And yes, I was I was afraid you would mention this horrible, horrible Bills loss from Monday night. I've been trying to forget it. I keep watching the the quarterback sneak over and over just saying oh so close yet so far but it's okay we have the second easiest remaining schedule in the league I believe will be just fine so yeah it'll be okay it's not as heartbreaking as it used to be when you know we'd get maybe a couple wins a year or whatever and (laughs) you know you'd have that game against the Patriots when the Patriots were good and we'd be hanging in until you know late in the fourth quarter inevitably just to have them crush us at the end so yeah now we can look ahead and go all right it's gonna be fine we're gonna make the playoffs we're still a contender and hopefully we don't run into Derrick Henry in January that's all I have to say (laughs) but before we get into it here I want to hear your thoughts on that International League because you and I haven't really talked about it recently. This is your chance to brag a little bit here. 6-0, and you've just been dominating in that one. Give us the rundown on your team. Yeah, I'm a little shocked to be the only 6-0 and team. <laughs> I It's a little bit of a mix of beginner's luck and probably just the way I built my roster. I'm fairly new to Dynasty. Those long drafts always kind of scared, scared me away. I shied away and managing it all throughout the season. But then once I started getting into fantasy football stats and research and made my Twitter, I was already doing the research all year long. So I said, okay, I'm going to get more into Dynasty. And also... I took a few less rookies than I originally wanted to throughout the draft because this is a a dynasty league with tons of experts. I got sniped at just about every single turn you can imagine. I'm like, oh my guy, my guy, everybody I had queued up was, was taken from me, but... I have Dak and Derek Carr leading the way. It's super flex, so that's that's not too, too bad. And I kind of went with my guys for the season and beyond. I took Austin Eckler, Antonio Gibson. Unfortunately, he's having a rough start to the season with those injuries, but hopefully he can bounce back. Maybe he'll heal up now and come back stronger after their bye in a couple weeks. Then I just have some other running backs. Miles Gaskin's been up and down all year. James Conner's a nice fill-in. And some rookies. I took Khalil Herbert, so I definitely started him last week. That was fantastic (laughs) to watch. Love that. And then I just kind of went 
I wish I was younger on the, the wide receiver side. I have Mari Cooper, Savant Diggs. Marvin Jones was a nice fill-in knowing that he's he's just the, the man doesn't stop producing every single year. He's overlooked. So he's been a nice fill-in. I did not think I would be starting a lot of Khalif Raymond this year, but here we are. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way <laughs> about their leagues. But yeah, then I just kind of went and stocked up on tight ends for hopefully having some value in future years with Tommy Tremble, Jay McKitty, Kylan Granson. And then I have Hawkinson and Higby as my starters. So it's been really, really fun and challenging, super challenging. And I'm I'm just going to preface this with I'm taking the L this week. I can barely feel the roster. So we'll see. We'll see if I can stay undefeated. But Well, we were joking before the show that a few weeks ago when we talked about having you on, and I, I even think I made the joke to you saying like that you're, there's no way you're going to be undefeated by the time you come on the show. And yet here we are a few weeks later. And not only are you undefeated, I think you have like a two game cushion. I don't think there's a five and one team in that league. I think four and two is the closest one to you. So a very impressive start for you. And I'll, I'll give everybody the update on my team. I'm three and three. Now, I will say, I think I've scored about 100 more points than your team has so far, and that's the thing for my team. I think I've scored the second most points in that league, but I have the second most points against, so I still feel pretty good about my squad, and I'm hoping that I don't have any more injuries, a couple more injuries, and I might be in trouble there, but it's such a deep league, and you kind of talked about it, mentioning some of those names. I believe I made it 30 roster spots at Superflex, you know, three running backs you have to start, five receivers, so... There really is not much on waivers at all. And we were joking before the show about guys we picked up this week. I picked up Nick Westbrook-Akina, and you picked up his teammate, Chester Rogers. And <laughs> we're going to probably have to start those guys this week because of all the buys. So it oh, makes yeah. it tough, but I love that challenge. It is so challenging. And there are, the, the, the waiver wire is a wasteland. There's nothing. That, that's why this morning I'm like, who can I actually pick up a wide receiver for my fifth slot to actually get, you know, one or two points and not give me a goose egg? We'll see what happens for both of us, I guess. <laughs> well, you mentioned having Eckler on that team. He's obviously been helping power your squad there. And you saw that one coming a mile away. Hopefully people read the article before the season because... You know, if they did, they're probably rocking a winning record at this point. I want to keep moving forward, though, here. So we don't have to keep talking about how great your team is. You're awesome. Eckler's been great. <laughs> He's on by this week, though. And now we're going to have to look ahead to the rest of the season here. With all the injuries at running back, with, you know, all the teams on by and more bye weeks coming up here, where do you think he should be ranked among running backs the rest of the season? He certainly merits a top five ranking for the rest of the season. He's currently the RB2 in PPR overall. He's getting about 21.5 PPR points per game, just absolutely dominating. The couple of the things I hit on in that article that either I saw um, potentially happening or things that needed to happen for him to have a league-winning season – Number one, he's got that elite target share. He he had it in his elite 2019 season. He's averaging about six tar- targets per game right now, which would put him just over that 100-target mark. I hit on that in the article. I figured he could have that those 100 targets. Herbert loves peppering him with the targets. The One of the biggest concerns was his goal line usage. I believe he only had one goal line carry last season. And the O-line additions and Corey Lindsley and, and Matt Viler, that's just, he's crushing. He already has four rushing touchdowns this season. I think he had only three total in his stellar 2019 season. Seven touchdowns on the season overall. It's just, he, he's crushing. I think he had 11 total touchdowns all year in 2019. So not only is is he sustaining his 
uh, his points with those targets and that target share. Now he's getting the touchdowns to go with it, and he's just become a monster. Of course, Derrick Henry, RB1 overall, he's leaps and bounds ahead of Eckler, but that's that's okay. It's going to happen. He's a monster. So You know, there's, there's some situations where I always preach, you know, we shouldn't trust these coaches and what they say, but it sounds like the Chargers coaching staff is pretty honest because before the season, they talked about getting Mike Williams the ball a whole bunch, and they've yes. done that so far. And they talked about using Eckler and kind of in that like Kamara role. It's the same kind of offense, right? With uh, with Lombardi coming over, and that's really how they're using him. And it's been fantastic. I mean, you look at him and Kamara. I think right now they're not far off rest of the season. I did my trade value chart, which is essentially rest of the season rankings. I put that out today, and I have met RB four behind Henry and Kamara and Cook. But really, it's it's pretty close between Kamara, Cook, and Eckler there, and I think he belongs ahead of that next tier, which is you know Najee Harris and Zeke and Aaron Jones and those types of guys, and just a, a great call by you, a great projection before the season. I always do uh, an article to uh, players who could lead you to a title. Sadly, it's been hit pretty bad by injuries. You mentioned one of them, Antonio Gibson, earlier, but I led the article with uh, Matthew Stafford this year and he's having a strong season so far he's a QB8 on the year 16 touchdown passes already but his schedule gets really really nice over the next few weeks here the Lions the Texans and the Titans so very little resistance coming his way over the next three weeks and that game against the Lions obviously it's one of the big storylines this week just Huge revenge game narrative going up against this old team. And then on the other side, you got Jared Goff facing, you know, his former puppet master, Sean McVay. And it's really almost like a revenge week across the board. We got so many other ones. You got DeAndre Hopkins and JJ Watt going up against the Texans. You got another defensive one. You got DeForest Buckner playing the 49ers. And the reason I bring this up is because I really struggle with when you have these variables that can't really be quantified. I really struggle with how to factor that into my projections and my rankings like a revenge game. It's just such a narrative. Right. But it's also one that I feel like it often comes through. Maybe players are just a little more motivated in those games. Maybe coaches are you know willing to scheme a few more opportunities to those players to try to help them out and get them that kind of revenge against those teams, try to get them a touchdown. I don't know what it is. I want to know, though, do you ever factor that into your rankings, your fantasy decisions? Do you take that revenge game narrative into play? So funny you ask this. I was just tweeting about this with someone debating when Corey Davis was against the Titans. And we were saying, is there any research or articles out there? Did anyone ever look at, you know? a large sample size of revenge games and I didn't find anything great but I mean Corey Davis had a good performance this year against the Titans albeit it was on a long touchdown at the end of the game from Zach Wilson so I I think for me I don't I try not to let it affect my rankings too too much or my lineup decisions it just makes for really exciting television like this week with what you said with Stafford and Goff DeAndre Hopkins, even even on the Monday night game when the Bills played the Titans, and you're this isn't a revenge narrative, but oh, Dawson Knox is from is from the area, from the Tennessee yep. area, and then he has that rushing touchdown attempt. That I'm, and you think to yourself, yeah, do the coaches kind of scheme things up for players when they're in this kind of situation? Probably, but I'm not gonna just. I think you had to stay water and say I'm not gonna start some guy from my bench who really doesn't have a great great shot. Even if it is this revenge game, kind of that—that's where I was with Corey Davis. I was like, "Well, the Titans' defense is pretty bad, so let's start. Let's give him a start because that narrative kind of feeds into that." But what about you? 
you can't really build your projections around like the narrative, you know, like for me, I'm relying on that combination of like stats and film and that's Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to build my content around. But I do like, you know, I think it's more of a thing when I'm doing my final rankings, because as we know, I've talked about this in the show before. The projections don't equal the rankings, right? You do the projections, then you put the rankings together, and then that's the opportunity where, you know, the injuries or the severity of the injury, stuff like that, players can move around, move a few spots up and down. So I don't know. I do take it into account. I I think you have to just a little bit. And I think that's okay because I think fantasy should be fun. You kind of touched on it, right? Like if all you're doing is is crunching numbers and watching film – that's going to get pretty boring. And I could say that, you know, firsthand, it gets very boring at times. So I'm okay with spicing it up. And, you know, anybody that, that follows me, they know that I tell people, trust your gut. If you feel strongly about something and it goes against my rankings, it goes against the content I put out, starts, sits, whatever, that's fine. Like as analysts, we're just here to be guides, right? We're not here to, to run people's teams for them. So I think, you know, managers should be the one making the final call, not the analyst. Now, that being said... I do think there are some things that people get wrong. There are some narratives that I think people buy into maybe a little too easily and it ends up kind of having a negative impact on their teams. And that's the main topic of today's show. I want to see if we can pinpoint some of those, some of those things that most fantasy managers seem to believe, not everybody, because you can never just put that blanket over everyone, but you know, where public perception is maybe shifted the wrong way. And really when you dig a little deeper here, Maybe we can show people that it's not true. So is there one like that that comes to mind for you? We can toss out a couple. We can go back and forth here. I'll let you kick us off, though. Do you have one of those narratives that people seem to have bought into that you don't think is real? The one that I... I'll start with one I really dislike is is calling someone a bust out of the gate when they really haven't had a chance. And now I understand for quarterbacks, they have a, a shorter leash. You know, fans want to win now. Coaching staffs as well. All those things come into play, but... Throwing around like Tua is a bust, Jalen Hurts is a bust. These guys haven't even played enough games to count for an entire season. How are you going to write them off? I even recently, I kept seeing all that stuff coming out on Twitter after Jalen Hurts had another kind of subpar performance in primetime this last week. And I compared his first 10 games to Josh Allen's first 10 games. And we know that Allen's rookie season wasn't great and Jalen Hurts has been better in every single category he had a better completion percentage he had more passing yards he had more passing touchdowns he had half of the interceptions Josh had 14 interceptions and to Jalen Hurts seven and I just you know people were quick to want to write Josh Allen off in his rookie season because that was the draft narrative the pre-draft narrative so I just sometimes when we do all this off-season research and you, you want to stick to your process and stick to your guns, it's tough for some people to kind of open their minds and say, well, maybe I was wrong or maybe I need to look at that process over again instead of being like, oh, I knew Tua was going to be a bust. He fell on his face. He stinks. You know? I 100% agree. And I think there's other factors that go into the Tua thing too. Like, you know, a lot of it comes down to the expectations people have and not every rookie is going to come out and be Justin Herbert who kind of surprised, or maybe you could argue that that was just because expectations were so low for him <laughs> that it was just stunning that he did what he did out of the gate. And for the Dolphins, that can complicate things because a lot of those fans are probably looking at it or even fantasy managers are looking at it and saying, well, the Dolphins could have had Herbert. He went with the next pick and then they factor that in. But fantasy wise, I don't care. Like when I'm looking at Tua, I see a quarterback that 
came back from this career-threatening injury in his last year of college, probably shouldn't even have played in his rookie season. Like There was talk that they would just sit him out for the year, and that's one of those instances where it probably would have been good for him. Like They might have made it off better if they didn't put him out there the way they did after the bye. And I think he's a guy that he needs to be in rhythm. He needs to have the the timing of the offense working for him. And so this year, he gets that full offseason. The front office goes out. They get him a bunch of new weapons. And he starts the year against the Patriots and the Bills, two really tough pass defenses. And then he gets hurt. And in the meantime, you have, you know, Will Fuller misses week one with the suspension. Now he's on IR. You have Devontae Parker in and out of the lineup. Tua finally comes back this week, plays the Jags. And yeah, it's not perfect. But he goes out, puts up 329 yards, two touchdowns, 22 rushing yards and a pick. And that was a bad interception. Yes. But other than that, he looked pretty good to me. And now he's getting the Falcons this week. He gets the Texans in week nine. So hopefully you're going to get Parker and Fuller back soon. Hopefully they don't get traded. I mean, there's rumors right now that they could keep holding those guys out and, you know, maybe trade them because the Dolphins might be sellers now that they're, they're not doing as well as expected this year by any means. But either way. I'm totally with you on this one. You got to give these guys some time. Different players develop at different speeds. And two of somebody to me that I think we're going to see over the next couple of weeks here can be a real fantasy asset for a team, could potentially be a fantasy starter. And in these better matchups, we'll get a, a better idea of what kind of quarterback he could be. Now, do the Dolphins still have work to do? Absolutely. They got to get him an offensive line. But right now, and it's partially because the buys right now, I have him ranked as a QB one this week. Yeah, I'm streaming him in many, many spots. I think he'll, he has a fantastic chance for a top eight week this week against the Falcons. They're allowing so many points to the quarterback. And I also looked into Matt Ryan on the other side of the ball to stream him, but it seems like Miami's passing defense against quarterbacks, their numbers were kind of inflated by Tom Brady's performance against them. So I ultimately ended up going with two on more of my rosters to stream, but I'm really excited to see what he can do. I know, I think they're one in five now, so you're right. They might be trading some of these pieces away. Even Xavier Howard as well was rumored to be yeah. potentially involved in the trade. But imagine being to a, having this constant threat of news of, oh, we're, we're going to sign Deshaun Watson soon. <laughs> and, and and last year being benched multiple times for, for Fitz, I just, he, he's admirable. I'm an admirable kid, and I, I really want to see him succeed. And not that we're going to turn this into a Bills show, but I've talked about this before. The idea of like somebody like Josh Allen getting to go to a team like the Bills that if he had gone to the Bills 10 years prior it might not have worked out the way it has, but he went to the Bills at the right time when Brandon Bean and McDermott had brought this great culture in and they really built around him properly. They really built up the right culture there. They built this family environment. Everybody's playing for each other. They build up the offensive line kind of on the fly. They get him the right weapons and it really turns out well for him. And then you look at two and they were kind of trying to do that. But so far this year, it's just kind of been a complete disaster. I want to get your thoughts on this one. So one for me is that Josh Jacobs is just a bad fantasy player to, to have on your roster. I don't get why people hate this guy so much. Like normally when you have a young running back that's performed the way he has over the first couple of years of his career, normally everybody's just like falling all over themselves to get him on their teams. Right. And I mean, like if I told you, okay, 23 year old running back, his first two seasons tops 1300 yards from scrimmage each year scored 19 total touchdowns over that time. He was the RB 15 and average fantasy points per game as a rookie. He had 14.7 fantasy points per game. As a sophomore goes out there, RB 14 in points per game was up a little to 15.4. Then this year, yeah, he's, he's dinged up. He misses some time, 
But average-wise, he's right there, 14.9 fantasy points per game. He's even, lately, it's a small sample size, but he's taken on a, a bigger role in the passing game as well. He's got 10 receptions in his last three games here. And I get that he's never going to be a, a top five back, maybe. Like, I get that people don't like that aspect. They want to figure out who that guy can be the next, you know, Christian McCaffrey, the guy that can blow up. But Jacobs, to me, is a, a high-end RB2. He can give you some RB1 weeks. That offense looks better than I think we expected before the season. And people just don't give him the respect he deserves. It's really, really strange to me. And I don't know if you want to comment on Jacobs there, if you want to throw out another one that, that bothers you that you want to try to correct for people. But that Jacobs one is one that it's just always been one here that I've never understood. And I've talked about it for a year or so. Yeah, the, the Jacobs narrative is so interesting, especially throughout the summer, the off season. I think it's everyone wants that sexy pick for lack of a better word and Josh Jacobs and the Raiders in general they just don't have that sexiness around them right you're looking at like oh I'd rather take a shot on Javante Williams he's going to take over that Denver backfield week two Melvin Gordon you know like those kind of narratives people get more excited about a couple of the rookies coming in more than a guy who's going to give you solid RB2 numbers every single week and I think it was a really bad narrative. He's averaging great, great points per game, as you've already hit on. And I wish I had him in more spots as an RB2. He was dropping to such late rounds in redraft drafts this summer. It was mind-boggling. So I'm with you here. I think it was just that that recency bias also builds into it as well with some of his injuries and then, you know... People were saying the same thing, a similar thing about Derrick Henry. Oh, I don't want Derrick Henry in PPR because he's not getting many passes. Same with Josh Jacobs, not involved in the passing game very much. Well, when the Raiders are winning, Josh Jacobs is efficient. He scores touchdowns. So that was maybe another worry. Like if the Raiders were not going to be great this year, is he going to have many goal line opportunities, touchdown opportunities? Well, they're, they're rolling. So and I'm so interested to see how they do the rest of the year without without Gruden there. All right, you got another narrative you want to throw out before we move on here? Or uh, or should we just keep going? The only other one I think is interesting, and this is not no wrong or right, but uh, the talent versus opportunity argument is is always an interesting one to go through in the offseason for somebody like a Mike Davis is his opportunity is there. He can be an RB2 for you, but does he have enough talent to keep other running backs off the field? Well, we've already seen what has happened with Cordell Patterson emerging and seeing Davis's snapshares go creep a little bit down. And another argument I liked was the opposite side of the talent coming through for a guy like Emmanuel Sanders. Everyone was wondering, is Emmanuel Sanders going to see more snaps or will Gabe Davis continue to, to rise up? And Sanders has just been a revelation for fantasy in terms of where you drafted him for ADP relative to where he is right now. I think he was wide receiver 20 through the first five weeks. So I love that argument too, but there's no right or wrong sometimes there. Yeah. Matt Waldman did a phenomenal article on Sanders in the preseason, just talking about how he hadn't really lost a step whatsoever and how he was perfectly suited to join that Bills offense. And after I read that, I talked about on the show I tried to draft him everywhere I could. I have him in our, not to make the whole show about our dynasty league, but <laughs> I, I have him in our dynasty league and I have him on a, a ton of teams this year. And yeah, it's, it's been fantastic. Um, you know what? Okay. I am going to mention one more thing about that dynasty league, Cordero Patterson. So you just touched on him quickly there. 
Um, well, we look at him like he's a guy that just keeps creeping up my rankings. Like, and you look at it and you say, okay, Mike Davis is still getting touches, but Patterson, you, you think he's going to fall back to earth and it's not happening. If anything, it's going the opposite way. He's getting more opportunity. And I would say that he should be getting more opportunity. And I know that Calvin Ridley was out the last game. So obviously they needed to find other guys to, to pick up the slack. So that could have led to Patterson having such a, a big contest there, but I just keep moving him up my rankings, and now he's coming off the bye. He's going up against, up against the Dolphins. Not a bad matchup at all. How high do you think is too high to rank him among running backs right now? Because I want to put him right up there. I want to make him a, an RB1 right now, and it seems crazy to say that, but and factoring in injuries and all that stuff as well, that moves him up the ranks. But right now, Patterson is a guy that I am ecstatic to have in my lineup. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous, I will say. <laughs> but who saw this coming, honestly? It's been really fun to watch, which is weird to say about the Falcons, right? But his snap share was up at about 50% last week, and I already mentioned because Ridley was out and they needed some help there. But his snap share has been creeping up slowly. It's been anywhere in the beginning of the year from the low 30s to the low 40s. Mike Davis is still hovering around that 60 to 65 percent, but it's been going down. So I'm so interested to see if Patterson kind of edges him out or they just continue to use him in the passing game. That wouldn't surprise me either because it's really just Ridley and Pitts. So they do need him. As far as how high is too high, I mean, if you have him in top 10, how am I going to argue that? Especially for this week with all the the players on by, but even going into the rest of the season, he's got Carolina, New Orleans, Dallas, New England, Jacksonville on deck. I mean, there's no one particularly scary in that in that schedule. So I just even top ten, I'm like, yeah, that that makes sense. It's it seems crazy. And if you told us we'd be talking about this back in June or July, would laugh in your face. But here we are. Now I I will say though, like if Mike Davis gets hurt. I don't think there's a scenario where Patterson like becomes like a workhorse. I think then, and we've already seen this a bit. You talked about Davis's numbers kind of dropping. I think they get Wayne Gallman a little more involved and we've seen that kind of start already and maybe that'll continue. And you know, if, if Davis ends up breaking down and a little bit older there, if he starts to break down or gets injured, I think Wayne Gallman would come in and we would see Patterson kind of stay in a, a similar role. I don't think there's ever going to be a scenario where they're giving Patterson 15 carries or something like that in a game. I mean, you disagree there? I mean, I just don't see him being that kind of guy. It would be shocking, and everything he's doing is shocking, but really shocking to see a 30-year-old guy that's never been a full-time running back all of a sudden turn into this workhorse at the position. No, I can't disagree there. And his value is in the passing game. He's not very efficient on the ground with his yards per carry, etc. So I, I can't disagree with you there. His role would likely stay very similar. All right, another one that I'm struggling with here. Justin Fields and that Bears passing attack because they're not going to be able to run the ball against the Bucks. We can say that for sure. They're going to have to take to the air. Is this the week that that passing attack gets going? I mean, up against the Buccaneers, everyone has to throw against them. And because of that, volume-wise, people tend to put up pretty good passing numbers against them. Is this the week that they finally kind of get things right? Or is it time to just put Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, we throw them on the bench until further notice? Goodness gracious, you hope this is the week unless Matt Nagy just sincerely has no idea what he's doing, which that's also a possibility. But <laughs> with this this bipocalypse week, people may be forced to start Mooney and Allen Robinson. And when I say people, it's me. I am putting Allen Robinson back into my lineup because I am forced to this week and I, I'm streaming Mooney in a couple of spots. The thing of it is, it's 
Tampa Bay allowing the seventh most points to the wide receiver position, fourth most to quarterbacks. In theory, they should be able to pass on this Tampa Bay defense. Their cornerbacks are decimated. You've got Sean Murphy, Buntling, Carlton Davis, Richard Sherman all down and likely not playing this week. So all of the cards are lined up for Fields and the wide receivers for the Bears to have a good week. But you watched you watched Jalen Hurts struggle last week, so that's it's a little bit of a concern. But I'm hoping they get it right this week and we can see some good usage out of both Mooney and Allen Robinson. I'm I'm starting them. I'm firing them up. But you're, they're not going to be able to run on Tampa Bay, so we're going to have to see them air it out, and I'm very curious to see if they can do it. And Matt Nagy getting dangerously close to becoming the, the next Adam Gase. If he's not uh. there already, he might already have that title. Who knows? <laughs> uh, all right, it's your first time on the show. We ask this question every single week. It's basically it's a chance for you to highlight whichever players you think aren't getting enough love this week. So I'll give you the floor. Which players are being overlooked for Week 7? Who you got? All right. I like Jalen Waddle this week. I think that with all of the Jamar Chase love, he's kind of getting lost in the shuffle, but he had a fantastic performance against uh, uh, last week. He should have a good performance this week against Atlanta. He's just not being talked about enough. He had 13 targets last week, 70 yards and two touchdowns against the Jags. So that connection with Tua is there, with Tua back. It'll be interesting to see how he performs again this week. He had a good week one as well when, when Tua was still healthy. I think he had about 16 PPR points. So definitely looking at Jalen Waddle, streaming him in many spots. And I still think that Chuba Hubbard is going to continue to bring you value as a fantasy manager if you held on to him through what we all thought was going to be CMC's comeback. But it turns out, LOL, it was not. So yeah. I think he'll continue to give us value for these next couple weeks as well. I love those. Yeah, that's guys. another one where I mean Chuba Hubbard, Daryl Williams, those guys are in my top yeah. ten this week. Just to give people <laughs> an idea of like where we are with all these buys and injuries. Those guys are our top ten backs and they're not even like barely top ten. I think I have them RB seven and RB eight right now. Um yeah, and, and we talked about Tua before. He's another guy I would throw in here. I mean, a guy that, that's moved up, another one we've talked about, somebody that's kind of up in that top ten, top twelve this week, just based on all the buys and injuries and stuff. I'm going to highlight Elijah Mitchell, who he's coming off the bye. So now we know he's healthy, missed a bunch of time there. But in that first game that he came back in week five, just dominated touches. And he didn't have a huge game by any means. So people might not have realized what happened there. But he came back in. Trey Sermon was barely involved. Elijah Mitchell came back and was by far the lead back in that offense. The matchup doesn't really do him any favors this week against the Colts. But he's somebody that I'm very excited about, who I think is going to have a good week. And I think he's going to have a, a good rest of season. So he's somebody that I really like. At receiver, Marcus Calloway, I think, is worth a flex. Got stat lines of 4 for 41 and 1, 2 for 74, 4 for 85 and 2. Those are his last three stat lines. Michael Thomas isn't going to be back for another couple weeks here. We'll see if Traquan Smith gets back this week and can do much. But Calloway, a decent flex. And I'll go even deeper. Quez Watkins on the Eagles, more involved than Jalen Rager recently, has 15 targets over his last three games, top 40 yards in four of his last five outings, kind of quietly coming on in that offense. It's a dart throw. This is not a guy that's going to get 10 targets and put up a massive game. You need him to kind of hit on one of those long ones. But if you're desperate, I definitely think he's somebody people can consider. Yeah, I love that call. Love that call. Yeah, Rager's not looking looking too hot out there recently. All right, we'll get you out of here with this section. It's going to go complete rapid fire here. So quick answers only. You can give a little context if you want, but we're not going to dive in like we did with the earlier stuff. You ready? Yes. 
With Kareem Hunt on IR, with Nick Chubb ruled out, is Dearness Johnson a top 20 running back this week? Oh, I hate this. I, I'm not sure. Maybe top 20 because of all of the the injuries and the bye weeks, sure, but I'm not I'm not looking at a smash plug and play with him. Maybe he'll get uh, Alex Collins like numbers when Alex Collins filled in that first week, nine or ten PPR points. But that's I have low expectations, especially with Baker out. They're just a mess right now. People gave me a hard time because I had JD McKissick over him in the waiver wire column this week. I had JD McKissick as the number one running back pickup, but yeah, I, I don't really see. I think it's going to be short lived, and I I don't think he's a guy that's going to get you know huge numbers against the Broncos this week. But we'll see. Uh, which tight end would you rather roster the rest of the season, Dallas Goddard or his former teammate Zach Ertz? I would rather roster Goddard because of the lack of better receiving options in Philly versus all of that talent over in in Arizona. Are we in the middle of a Henry Ruggs breakout and people just don't realize it yet? Oh, goodness. I'm not quite there yet with with plug and playing him. I think just because he's only had three targets and four targets over the last two weeks, so the volume isn't quite up there for me to trust him yet but he's got a favorable schedule coming up and he's good for a bomb or two every single game so he's good flex still in my eyes i think he's on pace for like over 1100 yards or something and it's been kind of surprising that people haven't really been discussing him that much on twitter but anyway we'll keep going here uh, which player are you most excited to see activated from the pop or from ir for the second half of the season Michael Thomas, I'm very curious to see if he even if it actually even happens because of his kind of tumultuous relationship over there with the Saints management. Yeah, very, very scary there. Uh, <laughs> will it be a good Jameis week or a bad Jameis week when he takes on the Seahawks on Monday night? I'm going to say good. He's got a, a great shot for more efficiency against another weak secondary. He doesn't quite have that volume there, but he's been a very efficient QB. Yeah, I'm pumped to see with this schedule that Jameis has coming up. This is his chance to kind of lock down that job. Seattle this week. The Bucks, the Falcons, the Titans, like things are pretty easy over the next month for Jameis there. I will stick with the Monday Nighter. After the one game sample, do you believe that Geno Smith can keep DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett fantasy relevant while Russ is out? I think I'd lean DK over Tyler Lockett being fantasy relevant with Geno at the helm just because Pittsburgh passing defense isn't that great and he kind of struggled in the first half, but I think he kind of got his bearings in that second half. I think Geno will continue to improve and and keep them afloat for the next uh, couple weeks. We talked about it off the top, but as a Bills fan, what was your exact reaction when Josh Allen didn't complete that fourth down? Oh, it was gut wrenching. I just sat in silence again. I just I watched it on replay. I just if he if he simply just followed our center Mitch Morse, he probably would have gotten over that first down marker. But you know he slipped, and nine times out of ten he hits that. But like we said, we move on. We'll be okay. I was similar. It was silence, but I was standing in front of the TV, just kind of dumbfounded. <laughs> Will you ever tweet out a video of the Buffalo Bills celebration that happened at your wedding? I've seen a picture. I've seen a picture that you showed us in the Dynasty League. Uh, you were being held up above everyone. There was somebody in the background that had a Bills helmet. I'm told that the song Shout was being played at that time. Is there a video? How can we get it onto social media? Oh, goodness. Good memories. I don't have a video myself. I just have those. I have a ton of pictures, but somebody's got to have it on their phone. Maybe I'll maybe I'll shoot a couple of texts out today and try to get try to get a hold of the video because it was a it was a good time. All right. Well, we might have to get some money together just to, to bribe that one away from somebody and get that out on social media. <laughs> uh, that's all for today's show, though. Make sure you're checking out Victoria's content over at Football Guys. Make sure you're following her on Twitter 
at FFB underscore Victoria. She got another few weeks to enjoy this undefeated run here because her and I are going to square off in week 10. So she's not getting past week 10. I'll promise you that. But <laughs> this is awesome. I'm glad that we were finally able to make it happen. I appreciate you doing it so much and, and taking the time. And good luck in week seven and good luck the rest of the season. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. All right, for us at The Score, you know the drill. My trade value charts went up today. I'll update the rankings on Thursday. We'll be back with the live show at 1 p.m. on Friday. You can check out my Twitter account, at Justin Boone. I'll have all the details there. I'll be asking for questions. Make sure you're following me there. But until then, big thanks again to Victoria. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. And we'll see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby. Said leave on time. Leave on time with me.